Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, welcome to Urban Pitch Podcast, the beautiful game of life. Today we have Rich Kofinko, aka Rich One, aka Rich Uno. Yep. Founder of shoe company As If, mm-hmm. previous owner and founder of Creative Recreation as well, right? Yes, sir. Visual artist, yep. Designer, <laughs> originator, innovator. Am I missing any uh, adjectives here? Damn, you're making my head spin. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome today. Thank you. Thank yeah. you very much. All right. So I would like to start off with you, just giving us a little bit of background of who you are. Okay. Right. Okay. Tell the audience who you are and what you're currently doing. Okay, cool. My name is uh, Rich Gofinko. Um, currently, I'm doing a brand called As If, acronym for As Seen in the Future. Uh, founded in 2036, so actually, it doesn't exist yet. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. It's founded in 2036. Yes. Okay, sweet. In 20 so, years. Yep. Okay. And, and then I think for me, just creatively, it just leaves an outlet and a process to just me to really think out, out the box and be futuristic with it mm. and, and and then test my creative abilities. Okay. So before we jump into As If, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to talk at length about that for sure, <laughs> let's go to your roots. Okay. All right. Uh, not too many people probably know this about you, mm-hmm. but you were a thug back in the days, right? Uh, Graffiti a, artist? <laughs> more like Slash a vandal, gangsta, I guess. Uh, vandal? Uh, street vandal, right? Yeah. There you go. Yeah, but you were a graffiti artist back in the days, right? Yes, sir. With the crew, yep. NASA, yep. right? What does NASA stand for? No Art Survives After. No Art Survives After. Okay. Yep. Do people know about your uh, street graffiti art roots? Is that something that's kind of like public knowledge? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. I think, you know... I. I, you know, we've been in the game for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I just had a little hiatus going more on the commercial side, doing the footwear stuff. Mm-hmm. But I mean, been heavily always doing the graffiti. It's always it's mm-hmm. been the influence for everything I've done. How did, okay. How did you get into graffiti art? And what are we talking about? Are we talking 90s or 80s? Uh, it was 80s. Or 70s. <laughs> <laughs> I'm messing. No, no, not 70s, no. 80s, huh? It, it was like... Um, Early to mid '80s, mm. and it was around this, the time hip hop came. And right. I think what uh, you know, to even backtrack more is okay. prior to hip hop or any of that stuff. I really couldn't draw. Actually, I wasn't really an artist, or I felt like I didn't really have any kind of artistic talent. My okay. my dad, my brothers were my older brothers. They all had the talent, and then they were trying to teach me. Mm. And I could draw stuff, but it, it like was more technical. Like I had to do okay. a lot of stuff with templates and compasses and okay. rulers, and, right. and so it was kind of. I like, don't think the kids nowadays know what a compass is. Uh, we're no, talking, we're not yeah. talking about the like nah, to navigate. This is like all a man- boat. Yeah, We're yeah, talking yeah. about you know what I mean, right? <laughs> this draw. is manual work yeah. with a pencil. What, exactly. what age uh, are we talking here? Elementary school? Uh, no, nah, that was like. Well, yeah, kind of elementary. Then when I came to the teen teenage years, mm. uh, again the hip hop scene came in. Okay. And, we try to jump into the whole five elements of doing everything. Mm. You know, it's the b-boying, yep. the, the graffiti, the DJing, okay. the MC. So you were all into the street culture, yeah. the b-boying, the music, yeah. the hip hop, exactly. and then so the graffiti art at the time just kind of natural element of it. Yeah. Right? So out of all of it, like we were like, no, we can't do all of it. So let's gravitate. So, <laughs> so we you try to do the break dancing, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and it wasn't quite <laughs> happening. So like you gravitated towards what your strengths were, or yeah, your or your yeah. brothers at the time, your family. Yeah. yeah. And so they were really good. They were artistic in that sense. Yeah. Is it because of the Filipino background? Because I don't know. Because the Filipinos got some moves. Well, I probably, I guess, <laughs> I do. I guess for me, is I right. never really, it never really was exposed 
uh, I never really, it never really came out. And yeah, then when the, the Jabberwockies weren't around back then. Yeah, right? yeah. But yeah. but with hip hop is then I think that's everything changed for me because mm. I felt like that's that was the outlet of being where you can be an individual, you know, and yeah. then where you can be yourself. And then okay. you're talking yeah, about art, uh, drawing or b boying. I think hip hop culture in general. Mm. So what happened is that opened me up to be more creative. I see the broader world out there. I, exactly. Gotcha. Through the art, through all those things. Mm. Cause I was seeing I, my eye now rather than just through art history, but through graffiti art. Okay. So Which, give me, give me uh, an example. Okay. So how did it happen now that you're a teenager at this time, mm-hmm. right? Well, you're going out to the liquor store or you're going out to a hardware store, getting some uh, spray cans. What's going on? Like no. paint the scenario. For okay. Me. So funny thing is yeah. uh, I was, uh, going with our crew our mm. our breakdancing crew at the time mm. to my local church and then they were doing uh, a okay. breakdancing contest right because that's natural just a breakdancing crew going to church yeah, right? yeah. that's normal right <laughs> <laughs> this exactly. must have been a filipino uh, church yeah, right yeah, yeah of yeah. course you <laughs> okay. know it's, it's after it, it's after <laughs> church entertainment you know uh, okay okay so we do the holy spirit and all of a sudden we do the breakdancing yeah, afterwards exactly. okay man i need to go to your church man. <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing on that is yeah. uh it, it was near uh a, a kind of a landmark area mm. at the time called Belmont Tunnels. Okay. It's kind of where they filmed a lot of the old, uh, like, colors and um, a lot of the older movies and a lot of the um, graffiti in, like, bombing in downtown L.A. was kind of going on in the, in these Belmont Tunnels. It used to be where um, the old trolley trains used to kind of cut through okay. uh, through Los Angeles and they just okay. kind of made it in an abandoned section. Okay. Are we talking like South Central? No, nah, it, it's more downtown LA. It's kind of near downtown. Okay. Off, it's off first. It's okay. kind of off first street. Got so it. then when you're, when you're leaving downtown, you start going towards Midtown, mm. you'll kind of catch up to it. And then you'll, okay. it'll, it's near Belmont High School. Mm. But uh, we were going again towards church. We rolled up the bridge. And as soon as we got on the peak of the mm. bridge, we looked towards the Belmont tunnels okay. and then saw this colorful writing. Okay. And we were like, what's that? Wow. So okay. we had to pop, we had to kind of like, okay. So while you guys, you and your homies are heading to church, right? Yeah. What are you guys bumping on the radio? That's what I'm curious about. Uh, like Christian probably, music, nah, Michael W. Smith, probably like, or, or like Ice Probably like a Run DMC <laughs> like Run DMC, or something. Okay. You know, like, NWA yeah. on the way to Friday night <laughs> service. <or? laughs> All right. Got it, got it. Okay. Exactly, so you exactly. guys are heading to service though, church. Are we talking like Friday night service? No, nah, it was a Saturday, Saturday afternoon kind of thing. Okay. So it, it was like one of the after, after church okay. rec program right, thing so right. then we were trying to go head right. to that but then got our first taste on seeing mm. la graffiti mm. you know and then so we stopped we checked it out and then from there we just got the but you know the buzz yeah you know okay. the bug we saw it, we're like man we got to do this okay um but so, obvi- then, so then at that point now you guys are getting exposed to the la underground street culture you've seen some graffiti art mm-hmm. on the way to church mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. then at that point, you guys were wanting to to investigate, and that's how you started to going into that culture and getting spray cans and just going out there and doing it. Yeah. How do you go from seeing it to like grabbing the can and spraying? You know what I mean? Tell you know, walk me through that because I don't think most people <laughs> have that natural progression. I, again, I think it was uh, was really embracing that hemp hop culture. We mm-hmm. really wanted to do everything, okay. you know, try to do all the elements, but then. You know, I think the art side or the graffiti art for me, again, was something eye-opening for me. Like, literally, once I started drawing, like, graffiti letters and characters, 
I was able to draw. It okay. was it was a trip. It, right. Like you know, because so, then was, you're, so you're you're drawing it on on paper at home, yeah. you know, at school and whatever. You're doing that iconic S that everyone did back yeah, in the days, yeah, 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 yeah. Right? <laughs> right? And so you're doing that, and then so how do you, how does it go from that to like where'd you do your you know your first like uh, work with the spray cans? Then? So so we would do it local. So we were uh, mm. I grew up in Cerritos, so it was a little more suburb, mm. but we we still. You know, we're trying to experiment and do how how we thought it was done. Okay. So we would go out late at night, okay. you know, um, paint like the riverbeds mm. or, or some park walls or stuff like that. Right. Doing it illegally at the time, sure. you know, because... Yeah, it wasn't commissioned artwork at the time, well, right? Well, nah, there was no such thing, you know, like <laughs> right. anything near the freeways yeah. or whatever. Because conceptually, we already had the concept of ideas of, you know, how graph was in the East Coast of like... You had to get up and be all city and be everywhere. So we had that in our heads of like, oh man, we got to paint everywhere. We got to be prolific. Yeah, we yeah. got to go. We got to be like Chaka, right? E- exactly. Cause a million dollars in damage. Yeah, <laughs> in the eighties, right? But the the, uh-huh. the the thing that we didn't start seeing again because yeah. us being in the suburbs is, you know, like now when you start going in, especially on the west coast, you start yeah. going to all these different cities. Mm. And it becomes like that segregated gang scene, yeah, yeah. but we don't, we didn't know because we right. were just trying to be the hip hop mentality and culture of being all city, right, right? You know, going to every city and then hitting up. Mm-hmm. So one time we went to the east side, and um, it was like the STN yard mm-hmm. in East Los S- Angeles. Okay. And then STN or STS? STN. Okay. STN, second to none. Okay, second to none. All right. So um, while we were going there, you know, there was the local gangs kind of like rolling up when Mm. we were just painting right and then kind of you know obviously sweating us like what what are you doing here this and that and fortunately most of the time they would let us go because they obviously knew we were just graffiti writing and just Mm. getting up right you know it just depend how they felt if if we were just in their hood at the wrong time or whatever the case may be but you know at least most of the time we were kind of good you know right right we kind of got away with it but a lot of people did question like why are you going to the east side why are you going to the west side mm-hmm. why why are you all up in you know up north north hollywood or yeah. even orange county you know right. and we were all telling them we want to be all city and then the funnier thing after that is later on in the future people started bigging us up of saying that man we've seen you guys everywhere from orange county right. to san diego to uh Fullerton to L.A. to right. wherever, you know, and right. that's rare for people because, like I said, most of the other crews would just kind of stay in the vicinity of their, their areas. Is that, is that what they were, they knew the rich one from that? Is that where it comes from? The rich uno or the rich one? Probably. From back in the days? Yeah, probably. Is that, what, is that what your, uh, your, your signature tag? Well, I think, I think, yeah, yes. And then I think the bigger thing for us as a crew that they knew us for is, you know, since we were called NASA, we really mm-hmm. took it there as trying to be, again, futuristic or mm-hmm. being out of this world. I see. So that was kind of the concept that we had. Yes, we were graph. We, yes, we had the graph mentality, but we even added a little bit of our salt and pepper by saying, hey, but now let's think really out the box and right. think like futuristic and space and, mm-hmm. and those kind of things. Right. So then from there, we were making crazy alien type characters rather okay. than your typical b-boy hip-hop b-boy yeah. stance character yeah. or anything like that okay and then letter wise the same thing it looked almost more like alien writing rather mm. than regular writing i see so when you talk about uh alien writing uh, it kind of triggers my thought on like uh uh deffer 
right? Mm-hmm. Who does like uh, the, the calligraphy? Yeah, the calligraphy mm-hmm. paint, uh, uh, the paint brush stroke style, mm-hmm. and. Uh, there's a lot of different type of styles out there. There's like the, and uh, what do you call that? The anamorphic, where you see it from a certain perspective. Oh, yeah, it's like moving, yeah, yeah. yeah, and then uh, there's like photorealism, mm-hmm. right? Where it looks like it's a, a it's a, f- a photograph, mm-hmm. but it's been, you know, spray painted. Mm-hmm. Like there's a couple guys out there that I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know uh, MTO from France. He's oh, really yeah. big. There's a crane <laughs> cat coming up called uh, Royal Dog. He mm-hmm. does it really well, too, where he takes like uh, African-American uh uh, images mm-hmm. and then he he transposes it onto like Korean traditional. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's South Korean as well. So graffiti art obviously has changed a lot in the last like twenty years, mm-hmm. right? Where from that to like so many different styles and techniques, right? Do you think what what are your thoughts on that? Because it's a lot more not only commercial and you know there's that whole world, but it's different styles and you know back then it like you know a guy using a paintbrush wasn't considered like a graffiti artist, right? Yeah, yeah. What do you think about that? Well I mean I think at least if uh, the art is good, mm. then as that I think that's your best interpretation. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the, what's happening nowadays, though, okay. it, it is kind of like what you said, a little more commercial. There's yeah. a lot more going on. Uh, you know, there's the which is great. The street culture is like really blooming in yeah. in, in the art scene. Yeah. And then there are different genres within that, you know, but even at the end of the day, it's like now getting accepted to the high art. Mm-hmm. But the challenge, though, is like picking good art, mm. you know, like right. everything you're saying, there's a lot of that out and and there's a lot of people doing great stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just now, how do you stand out being that creative right right within you know, that specific technique it, or it, discipline right it, exactly because okay. even nowadays for examples like there's a hodgepodge of artists out now but then that whole hodgepodge can yeah. hit murals or walls now sure compared to before it's like art was almost like a, a finding you know like or, or digging like how banksy used to do it of yeah. like just random stuff on a brick wall or, or change the parking lot sign to park. And then, mm. you know, like really quirky things right. that, that should be in the street. I see. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but then at the same time, yeah, it, you can still embrace it as high art, but then you don't have to, you can take it more of that culture of where it's, where it has to stay true. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because even now that I'm saying Banksy, look what happens with his art. His art was free for the people, yeah. strictly for the street. But then high art people were yeah. knocking it off, uh, pulling it yeah. off those Taking walls. It off, commercializing and, and selling it, right? Yeah, taking it for private ownership. Yeah, know. you know, but, you know, and why I, I give him mad props is that, you know, him, he's, he's considered one of the greatest artist out there yeah. and he's the most underground and most disruptive mm. artist right. out in in that industry true, true. like he's in high art but at the end of the day you know no one knows if his if his stuff is real or not yeah you know like he even did that little stunt of like selling 60 dollar paintings mm. at central park and mm. just using somebody which might have been him but nobody yeah. knows exactly and then people were calling the bluff of uh-huh. like, dude, these aren't real, blah, blah, blah. But that's what's so dope about it. Uh-huh. It's like, like you said, you have to 
really believe or you have to really know that like hey man this is real stuff right. and this is part of his art mm. like his art process was to think like i'm gonna make people think if this is real or not right and that's and and then if you believe and you buy it you came up right that's interesting you know that, those are the things that i feel i cherish more as art out there compared to like what's going on in the movement now and there's right. no nothing bad about sure. it it's just more like I think a lot of people got to think more out the box. So then like creative wise, you know, the art can spread to a more progressive level. Okay. You know? All right. So let's take it back to then your start. Okay. Uh, I know you were like one of your early, earliest uh, jobs was with uh, Vision Street Company, Vision Streetwear. Yep. Yep. And uh, for the young kids out there who might not know, right, <laughs> that's in the vein of like uh, Quicksilver, yep. Billabong. Jimmy's. You know, actually, it was actually one of the first streetwear brands. Yeah, it was one of the original, right? OG. <laughs> yep, yeah, yep. I know because I couldn't afford it back then. Right? I still can't. <laughs> still can't. You know, I saw it out there. A proliferation of it. Yeah. Those were that was like the original streetwear, right? Mm -hmm. Especially for skateboarders, they loved it. Exactly. Um, how did it go from like? So then, uh, walk us through. How did how did you go from, you know, being part of this uh, Filipino b-boying <laughs> slash church attending, you know, graffiti artist, you know? Uh. To uh, go, entering into that world, to go, to you know, becoming a, a designer, right, for Vision Streetwear. Again, the, the mm. crazy part was it was that hip hop culture yeah. and that and the graffiti art. You yeah. know, I think it was with that having me to really think out the box and mm -hmm. think differently uh, was able. It gave me like this upper hand on okay. being able to be creative in any other environment. I see. The irony of getting into Vision though was during that era graffiti type graphics and stuff was kind of in that was right. like you said that during the times of like gypsies and thieves and uh, fresh jive and all those kind of brands so there was like either like graffiti characters or or, or kind of graffiti influence type graphics and stuff like that that was kind of big in that area so okay. um i was doing graffiti type t-shirts too and then um brad dorfman who um owns uh, Vision Streetwear, like stuff I did, and then hired me on board just to, you know, start yeah. doing that kind well, of stuff. How did stuff. he find you? Because there was no Instagram back in the days, right? <laughs> there was no LinkedIn, there was uh, no Facebook. Well, he saw he saw some of my art from uh, one of uh, his workers that were already working there. Just uh, like on paper, you're saying? Yeah, or it was on really? paper. Like yeah. some nice drawing there yeah. or whatever you did, and he's like, wow, this is dope. Uh, who, is, who, who is this guy? Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. okay. So then uh, so yeah. I came in, and then he liked my stuff, and he wanted to hire me, and okay. that was it. So that was that that was my intro now to get into the action sports industry. Right. Okay, so then from there, though, you were there for like five years, and then you ended up at Vans, right? Yeah, yeah. So, okay, how did that happen? So um, I think with, with Vision Street, where I can – kind of say that was like my my um educational years okay. or i guess my high school years sure. of, of just like kind of learning the industry mm -hmm. um doing multiple graphics for different things from hardware to software goods you right. know really getting my feet wet in everything because you know he like he wanted to really make his employees do like make everything make everything yeah. work okay and then one day he asked me to do um um designed some snow boots snowboard mm. boots and i was like uh, i never did any design okay. shoe designs and he's like, i don't care just do it and i'm mm -hmm. like all right and i did it 
And then uh, a couple of weeks later, a physical sample came, and from there I was hooked. I was like, Are these like uh, snowboarding boots or snow, snow boots? Snowboarding boots. Snowboarding. Okay. Yeah. So when snowboarding first started, really popping, right? Yeah. Well, it was already going on, but okay. I, like I never even did the sport at mm-hmm. that time. This is like Burton era, or what's going uh, it on? It was Burton era. Yeah. Okay. But then it was uh, it was at a time where yeah, people were starting to make custom boots. I mm-hmm. think at the time before there were just those rubber type, yeah, all rubber boots. Right. So then. Uh, Everyone was looking into making custom, and Burton was pretty much the only one doing it at the time. Yeah. And then uh, Vision was trying to do it as well. But with that being said, is it was kind of like my intro into designing footwear. I didn't go to school or nothing for it. It's just kind of he asked me to do it, and I did it. I was kind of into shoes already, kind of like a sneakerhead, I guess, uh, at that time already. Right. So it, it was a challenge, but at the yeah. same time, a challenge that I was willing to you know, try to take and okay. see what happens. And then, like I said, when the f- physical samples came, yeah. I, w- I was hooked. I was like, wow, okay. I, I designed that. I made that. And it, they made it into a 3D item, you know, be- before it was this always is, this on is paper. Be- but this is before Vans? No, yeah, this is before Vans. Okay. So I was getting to that. All right. okay. <laughs> so then what happened after that is um, a recruiter. Mm. Um, job recruiter. A job recruiter um, hit up me and my uh, partner over at Vans to, mm-hmm. I mean, at uh, Vision, mm-hmm. to go to Vans and start their snow boot program from scratch. I see. So, you know, I was like, damn, I've never done it before. But uh, my partner at the time, he's like, oh, don't worry about it. I know all the technical. I'll handle all that. And then you just do all the aesthetics. You know, yeah. you just do the looks and then we'll work together so and we'll make it all leap. happen. So yeah. you guys made that leap. But then so, you also did uh, not only like the the snowboard boots, uh, but you also did like skater shoes too, no? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we originally came in the vans as uh, as doing snowboard boots. And as mm-hmm. soon as we came in, like I said, with them, they were all custom. I mean, not custom, but they were like pre-bought, like all rubber boots. Yeah. And then we started making custom okay. style boots with them. So that being said, we kept making them. And then, you know, it got to a point of right. where I was like, well, can I make other stuff too? I, I don't want to just make snowboard boots. So then I was able to make um, like a couple of pro series and signature uh, uh-huh. skate shoes for uh, some of the pro skaters at the time okay. during then too. So it was cool to transition from doing technical snow boots was actually was harder because there's so much technical aspects into it uh-huh. and then go into a skate shoe and then all you have to do is just figure out ways to have protection for the ollie panels or uh-huh. any, any of that kind of stuff. So the cool thing again, it was just always that challenge of like trying to create something at with something that you haven't done before but see how you can pull it off right you know i was always into that i i like it, i was never shunned on like saying damn you know i've never done it i don't mm. think i can do it i was like never done it all right let's try it okay you know so then you were there for about five years right at vance mm-hmm. so how do you go from being a shoe designer uh, you're still young um still kind of new green in the industry uh, probably second company sounds like right second mm-hmm. third company maybe in your career mm-hmm. how do you go from that to all of a sudden saying you know i want to start my own company getting my own brand out there right because mm-hmm. uh, like nowadays like yeah every every you know everyone and their moms is trying to start their own company yeah, right? yeah. but like you know especially <laughs> with the the you know social media generation yeah. right but it's like how do you go from that to having the gall right mm-hmm. to like yeah hey, i don't i want to start my own thing well, I think it was, you know, working in the corporate environment, you know, and I think you start realizing a couple of things that you can do and then some, some things you can't do. Okay. You know, like w- w- a couple of the things that you realize is 
you know, a, a lot of business that have to worry about the, the end dollar. So yeah. then uh, products kind of rely on that okay. rather than rely on creativity. So for me, I felt like, damn, the only way I guess I can have that outlet to do it is to do it on my own, you know, and then make product that I feel should be out in the market. And right. then if it makes it cool, if it doesn't, then I guess I wasn't ready for it. Okay. So that's the mental aspect, yeah. right? So yeah. then now go walk us through like the actual, uh, the practical part of it. You know what I mean? Okay. It takes money. It takes investors, you know, potentially, you know, how did that all happen? How old were you at that time anyways? When you, and uh, what's the name of that, the, the first company that you started? It was called Force Footwear. Okay. Force Footwear. So yeah. then, yeah. How old are you at the time and how'd you uh, get into probably it? Probably like, late 20s okay so late 20s and then uh you're you're just an employee at vans as yeah, a designer so, so we were at vans yeah. doing cool product and then at the same time trying to take it to the next but it was hard because again some of the stuff was too advanced so it, it for me it was just getting frustrating to try to mm -hmm. you know take it to the next level and and you know not really be able to like penetrate it and make that happen okay so at the time um one uh one of the um executives in vans mm. kind of saw what we were kind of doing and then said hey man i kind of like what you guys are doing you uh, guys want to do something and then we're like oh yeah but you know if we want to do it we want to create a lifestyle brand for the action sports industry okay so he's like all right um i'll get funding for it and we'll make it happen so okay. um he put some he put that together mm. and then we all kind of just left a little at a time from yeah. vans and then um set off to starting uh this brand called force okay so, the, so it was a vans executive that uh, kind of approached you guys mm -hmm. and then put the uh package together and then you guys all kind of made it happen yeah yeah wow interesting so yeah. the good thing is again is what we saw is like great design great ideas like really brought that brand to like crazy like stardom real quick right. within a year it was already like doing well um that being said is kind of this that exec that was at vans ended up leaving and then going full-time with us because he saw the succession and stuff like that and then later on decided you know like to kind of infiltrate and run it so from there it was like again for me losing the creative mm. kind of balance and then getting caught up in like a corporate side already, but it's not even corporate. It was mm. it was independent and and, right. a, and a nice little startup. But I think the the nail in the coffin that that ended that is we ended up finding out that uh, that person was uh, taking kickback money from factories mm. and investing it in in that comp in our company, uh. and we didn't have. I didn't want to have nothing to do with it. I was like, oh, uh, uh, that's you, and mm -hmm. that's not me. I have nothing to do with it. So we ended up parting ways uh, from that one, and then learned from that mistake to kind of just watch who your investors are, right. or try your hardest to do it without any. Okay. So it sounds like it might have been a little bit of a blessing in disguise because from there you guys jumped into creative recreation, right? Yep. yep okay. Yep. And so. Creative Recreation started early 2000, right? Uh, yep. 2002? 2002, to be okay. exact, yeah. Yeah, uh, I did my research. Yeah, you did. Damn, <laughs> that's cool. And uh, <laughs> it, like, we we know that there was a huge, you know, incline in trajectory. Mm -hmm. how, how long did it take before it, like, started blowing up? 
Well, um, started around 2002, and it, it literally took five years. Five years. For, for it to really, for it to finally be self-standing alone and, yeah. and functional and making money. <laughs> okay. So what's, what's happening in the early stages of the company? Who's, the, who's putting in the money, right? How did you, you, you know, are you working out of a garage, two guys and a dog, like the way we are? Or how, <laughs> yeah, how did it well, work? you know, honestly, you know? it was like that. It was out of the houses. We were working remotely in the early stages. Mm -hmm. We ended up setting up shop in Long Beach. Uh, so we ended up getting an office there. Uh, we had a first investor from a, a Japanese distribution that helped us on our startup. But prior to that, also, we were doing a lot of freelance for other brands like Gravis, Dickies, all this stuff that just anything just to help us, you know, get by. Right. Um, all of it would just money would just go straight into just operations and just getting it to go, getting it going. Mm -hmm. And then obviously the bigger investments were just trying to get product. Okay. You know, like a physical like shoes uh, into the market. Okay. So um, yeah, from Long Beach. That was kind of like our, our first intro, trying to do it ourselves, yeah. get it going. And then um, probably like within a like almost a year into being in Long Beach, we get robbed. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was actually a guy that was kind of like um, a local kid. But then we thought it was just a cool kid that liked our product, was hanging out with us and stuff like that. And then one of the last days we saw him ended up kind of robbing us Taking, and, you're talking about product all your guys's inventory well, or what? not necessarily product but more importantly our computers oh, and stuff wow. like that okay. and, you know like that's stuff that was you know like where we were yeah. making our product invaluable or, intellectual property yeah, and exactly. all your work okay exactly okay so how'd you guys recover from that uh it was hard i mean we couldn't because it was almost like everything was taken from us okay so uh that's when uh, we ended up getting our um Japanese investment mm -hmm. and then helped us to kind of like rebuild and restructure and then moved out of uh, Long Beach and then moved back into kind of Costa Mesa area and then um, set up shop over there. Okay. Um, same thing. I think, I think what a lot of people don't see is like, there's a lot of struggles and a lot sure. of, a lot of chains, a, a change of commands and a lot of different things that, that go through um, like uh, with that, um, first injection of money it didn't quite work out so then you know he was looking for a, a payback so we had to try to figure out another new investment uh -huh. and then luckily unfortunately for us we ended up um, uh, getting our our third partner involved um, who had some manufacturing connections um, and invested a little to give us the injection to really you know get creative recreation off the ground what do you think was the uh, point in the company history that really allowed it to go from that uh, initial, you know, startup mode mm -hmm. to really on the path to success? Like, you know, I think it was, right now it's, you know, Creative Recreations in uh, Nordstrom's yeah. and Bloomingdale's. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's out there, right? I think it was as soon as we got the recognition buzz. OK. And who was that and how did that happen? I, I, I think it was just more grassroots at the time. OK. You know, I, our earlier days of of us doing the brand it was a challenge we were always going against a lot of things like the skate industry was a little bit bigger at the time so when we were trying to sell to either these mom and pop skater type shops or or just specialty boutiques we were always getting challenged of like what are these are these yeah. like skate shoes or like the, like no one understood right. when we would say no nah, it's lifestyle they're just like casual shoes mm -hmm. and then 
literally like months later it started checking and then all of a sudden these same people that were second guessing us were knocking on our doors okay so who's the crowd that first embraced uh creative rack i think uh the urban market okay and then the funny thing is it wasn't catered to the or, or we didn't have it distributed in the urban market our, yeah. our our distribution was so small right that we had um got in the barneys and we had barneys exclusives okay um that we we would just have for um for basically whatever area in the new york area for okay. example but you you guys were able to get into barneys yeah so that was like a huge oh, there was, right that's a huge coup so i think that was the next big stamp of approval that okay. helped blow us up because right. what i was about to say is like the the buyers told us that we were the brand that the first brand that bought the brought the hood into their stores mm. because they wanted creative recreation so bad okay but they were the only ones that would carry it at the time. So, so Creative Rec has the, the, uh, I guess the the uh, the I don't know what do you call it, the notoriety of being the first kind of like hood brand being in the store. Mm -hmm. And then uh, are we talking what which is like is that the Cesario? Yeah, uh, it was the kind of the iconic one with the mid midsole strap. Yeah, and then okay. we did and then we did some cool little exclusive colors like with like snake skin or yeah. ostrich kind of like textured materials so mm -hmm. it just gave it a little kind of like um high-end kind of pop or, or something mm -hmm. like that and then you know what was cool is again it, it got it gravitated towards a more fashionable that now people can wear a suit tie and then rock these sneakers and, mm -hmm. and still be accepted into like the club or in the right. workspace or anything like that i see so it was cool to like see that transition happen yeah. and be able to like create this new niche that like no one really understood before because mm -hmm. then later on after all that happened for us lifestyle became the new right coin word that yeah, everybody now it's, used. now it's the popular term right <laughs> exactly. and there's a lot of companies on it and <laughs> yeah, doing it right exactly you know what let's jump to your your current as if line right here we have some shoes that you brought right all right so let's present that <laughs> yes sir So we have uh, four of these different shoes that are on display now, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, when I look at it, the first thing that I think of is the fact that, uh, like, they're not, um, they're not, uh, like, the design and everything, mm -hmm. they're popular. Like, the look of it mm -hmm. and the feel. Mm -hmm. They're not, like, crazy, like, what are, you know what I mean? They're not, like, what are those in a bad way, right? right, right now, right. a lot of companies, mainstream companies are on board and in line with kind of the design and style that you're doing right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh i guess the way i look at it is uh like from a marketplace mm -hmm. right uh, competition is good right because it validates the market is that the way you look at it what do you think about that i think i think it's good but like what i always think of more is like how how can i stand out of the market okay you know so, so you want competition because it validates the market but you want to differentiate yourself from everyone else as well right? exactly okay exactly if i see the competition happen after the fact of of something i'm doing mm -hmm. then yes i like that okay you know just for the fact that you know that you created something that people want to kind of emulate mm -hmm. or, or integrate into their right. into their product okay and then now yeah you're right now it right. becomes like a battle but then yeah. the irony of that is again with with that hip-hop mentality that graffiti mentality mm -hmm. i had it was like all right well 
like when you're getting up on a wall, you have to burn it if you go over it hmm. and you have to top it or be better. Okay. So I just did that, you know, had that same mentality when designing aesthetics. Let's, let's, okay, why don't we, I'm going to pick out a couple of shoes. Let's start with the white one right there, right? And then go ahead and give us a, a, uh, your your thoughts on what you were thinking and why the design is the way it is and kind of, you know, walk us through that. Okay. So, um, First off, to understand the brand, like with as if right. it, it's an acronym for as seen in the future. So the concept is like that we're not from today, that we're from the future. And that meaning saying that we've seen what's going on and then what we want to do is prepare you today with for the future. So Right, because you founded the company in 2036. Yeah, 2036, okay. exactly. Right. So that being said, aesthetically, that's what we were trying to like interpret too. So this this shoe aesthetic for example is called the io so the concept of this is like we went you know we went back into the past of mm -hmm. foot coverings that were going on during earlier civilization and then you look in into the the era of the mayans or, or the ancient indians and they were making moccasins as mm. foot coverings okay so then if i'm looking at it from a uh, uninformed consumer right i don't have a design background mm. i don't know what i'm talking about right i only know from buying shoes mm. i look at it and uh, what's the material? Is that leather on the outside, for example? Yes. Okay, so it's leather. It's it, There's no seams on the outside, right? right? It's one leather piece, it looks like. Right. Uh, and it does kind of have that uh, moccasin remnant feel to mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it looks like an athletic shoe to me, right? Because mm -hmm. it's got the sole, athletic sole. Mm -hmm. And then it uh, doesn't have any laces, nope. right? And yeah. at the same time, on the uh, the the... the Where you put your, you know, uh, on the back of it, it's got a little... What do you call those things? Uh, that's a... a Elastic pull. Yeah, the, the pull, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of uh, very unique, right? Mm -hmm. Even though there's a lot of shoes now that have the tab in the back, right? right? right. Uh, it's popular. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the fact that like uh, kind of similar to Adidas cage versions where it's kind of close to your, uh, your ankle, yeah, right? With this uh, booty. Yeah, yeah, that little booty that on the inside of it, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it seems to me like there's a lot of functionality built into this shoe, right? Right. So tell me, you know, give us a little bit of what some of that those pieces are. Well, the sock liner obviously just gives you that feel of like you're basically wearing a sock, which is basically trended with a lot of things that've been going on today. Right. But then I think again with the concept of this being utilitarian and and looking back at past um, success rate, uh, rates of mm. of foot coverings back in the day, and mm -hmm. moccasin was one of them. Like this is another covering and an element that can help protect your foot, but then still have that form-fitting sock liner in the inside. Right. So that was kind of like one of the great things that we thought of for this is again taking something from the past mm -hmm. and, and then and then adding future technology into it mm -hmm. and then putting it out in present day. I see. All right. So let's do one more then. This one right here. I know we talked a little bit earlier. This one. This one's crazy unique right <laughs> I, I look at it and i'm like okay i haven't really seen too many shoes that look like this right uh the material what is it suede suede okay so it's suede it's like a tan suede mm -hmm. it's got three straps mm -hmm. right going across so there's no shoelaces mm -hmm. um i would say it's it's not an athletic shoe right it's more of like a lifestyle footwear mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time you can kind of wear it uh for a very active lifestyle mm -hmm. Uh, tell us what the the idea behind is because you mentioned a little bit about the fact that it's very functional and the idea behind it is very unique, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, I actually want to uh, I coin it more as like uh, utilitarian. Mm. So the the objective for us when we create is like create an uh, an ultimate survival shoe. So this, for example, the concept was that 
you can wear this for your foot for everyday use but it's say if you ever rolled your ankle broke it mm -hmm. or anything like that you can you can always uh like wrap your foot put like a little splint on it and then you just <laughs> tighten up these these things and it becomes like um a shoe restraint for you right so the cool thing about this it's multifunctional yeah it looks cool as just wearing it as a shoe but it also has function of if you ever are injured or anything like that you can use it as well okay so why would why would uh, you have an idea like that where it's like hey if someone gets hurt hurts their foot uh, I'm going to create a shoe designed for that because you're not in the uh, medical industry, right? <laughs> no, nah, I'm not. But I mean, I think if you're preparing hmm. for, for future environments and future elements, I think if you have one shoe that can take care of a lot of things, multiple things that might happen, and you're already prepared for it, why not? Mm -hmm. Like at the end of the day, if it's, if it's main purpose and function is just to wear as a shoe, cool. But then also if you're able to like use it for medical reasons or anything like that and 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 still help you why not like right. now you're not looking for something else you already have it you're already prepared right in the event of a any kind of zombie attack or yeah. whatever in the future apocalypse, whatever maybe apocalypse, anything whatever right yeah <laughs> exactly okay someone's out there to break their foot you know you got that shoe ready to go kind of thing yep yep okay very survivalist mentality right exactly okay interesting okay cool all right so then uh, i guess the the last kind of topic i'd like uh, your thoughts on are on a lot of the uh, sports brands out there mm -hmm. are are blending into the lifestyle mm -hmm. uh, area. Mm -hmm. uh, what brands do you kind of uh, resonate with? Who who do you respect, and what do you like out there? What are your thoughts on kind of the landscape, the current landscape? Uh, I think Y three is doing a great job in what they're doing. Obviously, the great part of that it's mm -hmm. designer driven. Okay, you know it's uh, it's has the stamp of Yoji Yamamoto. Sure. You know, and he, so you're into the whole artistic creative collaboration with the, these large brands as well? As long as they're as long as they're a good mesh. I see. I mean right now we've noticed I mean I'm sure we've all noticed a lot of collaborative effects for sure. That's happening for the shoes and especially like you just said for the lifestyle category. Mm -hmm. But I think what has to mesh and and, and coincide together it mm -hmm. is you know the creative element of it so then that being said it's like you have to have this creative person or element that can help enhance whatever I that see. collaboration so is there has to be like a creative driving force behind it and I so think you're so. saying like y3 with like the adidas collaborations mm -hmm. it still keeps true with the designer kind of the creative aspect of it without getting overly commercial correct okay. correct uh, even in his earlier stages mm -hmm. before it was y3 it was literally Adidas, Yoji Yamamoto with his logo on it. Mm -hmm. um, but what was great about him is, again, is it's the influential of fashion in into the into a sports specific shoe. Mm -hmm. And then I think that he was one of the forefathers of kind of just influencing that to now create this kind of hybrid of casual lifestyle or whatever athleisure, I guess what mm -hmm. it is now. But then he still has that stamp of being a pioneer in the fashion industry. Mm -hmm. So then it just makes sense that now with, with the form of fashion and function yeah. that they're able to create something uniform like that. Right, right. So okay. that's what I'm saying. As okay. far as for other collabs, like so-and-so with so-and-so, yeah. it's like, you know, what the, it, it, those are just names to sell. I see. Rather than having something that, uh, of substance okay substance know? and meshing well right yes. versus just kind of like two 
uh, weird brands just kind of being smashed together. Yeah, or okay. or just using a name to kind of sell. Okay, you know, like say, well, I can't say. <laughs> I'll, I'll say for you, like Puma with like certain uh, yeah, personalities. There you go. There you yeah, go. Female personalities. You, with, uh, I, that, that was in my like head. Actually. Fifty million followers on Instagram. I, I, I feel that, you. That was bad. You read know, my I mind. Know, That's you're crazy. Going. You're from the future too. Huh? <laughs> okay, I got you. All right, right. Where they just kind of like an odd fit, but let's just try and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, and, and we've seen it with other brands, and and the disadvantage of it is it most of the time it doesn't work. There always has to be authenticity to right. something, you okay. know, and then once you see that, like, then it makes sense, okay. you know, it, it makes a lot more sense than just something random that's just put together or, or something that, that you need to sell. Okay. You know? So then with, uh, as if, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking a little bit about the athleisure kind of, uh, sector mm -hmm. of the, the marketplace where do you fit your company's brand into what category and what do you see for the future you know i guess into where we finally go to 2036 <laughs> where your company was founded well i think this approach is a little more different i'm not going for fashion i'm not going for sport i think i'm going more for uh functionality and more needs than once mm. so i you know i i'm I, I guess the concept is just to see a bigger picture if like if the end of the world was near or or if if all of a sudden survival mode had to happen to us mm -hmm. what would we need i see you know Very what, utilitarian type of correct okay correct so then that's that's kind of more the the mentality where i'm going at with the products it's not necessarily you know to like capture uh an, an audience that like there's into like that's a sneakerhead or that's a, into fashion or anything like that. Okay. It's just I want them to collect it, but then have them understand that you know these are useful items for them. That ethos, you're not, ethos of the company, if you will. Yes, okay. yes. You know, like it's great to collect, but then at the end of the day, it's yeah. greater to collect and at the same time be useful. Right. All right. So what do we see from uh, what do we what can we expect from uh, as if in the next uh, three to five years? Uh, I think we'll branch out into a lot of more. Other items, yeah, yeah, yeah I saw of, that a little bit like backpacks, yep, right? Yep. Things like that. I got one to bags. show real quick, but okay, you let's know. <laughs> you on you. All right, let's throw yeah, it out yeah. there. So, like, here's another concept idea. So, mm. again, thinking of like the survivalist or utilitarian um, kind of situations, you can wear this kind of like a like a hip bag. So I'll, I'll I'll take a look at it, and you go ahead and describe it okay. while I okay, and I'll display it. Right. All right. So you have like a, a it looks like. It would be like it sounds like it's a cool uh, fanny pack, right? Yeah, fanny yeah. packs in general are not that cool to me, but this one looks like I could rock it. Yeah. Right? So let me give you the scenario. Yeah. So you're out, you're out in the uh, in the apocalyptic city. You're yeah. about to go in mm. into the city and find some supplies and rations. So okay. for for now, you got your your compass, map, maybe a firearm. You know, right. some some power bars or something like that, okay. you know, while you're just going survival on your, necessities all yeah. in the different pockets. Okay. While you go on your mission. All right. So what makes this different from kind of like a, another bag that I would just use to run away from a zombie attack? Okay. So now for example, you finally come across this, um, like a pharmacy and then you find some, like some good rations that you can bring back some yeah. first aid, some, you know, sure. medical stuff and this and that. And then you think to yourself, damn, where am I going to put it? Mm. So all you got to do is unzip it, the top, it goes all the way open, okay, opens up, it turns into, what is it, oh, it turns into a backpack, right? Oh, nice. Okay. 
So it's like uh, you have a, a cool fanny pack that's very uh, functional, <laughs> utilitarian, right? Yep. Running away from a zombie, but then you get some other materials and boom, you can enlarge it and turn it into a backpack. Exactly. And kind of run with it if you need it, if you will. So, so again, what I'm trying to push is more necessities. Okay. So, so this there, is, more, is there something like this out there, like where you have like a fanny pack turning it all of a sudden into like a, a backpack? I haven't really seen something like this. I don't think so. Okay. So you're you're all you're still into the innovative, <laughs> right? Origination, innovative kind of roots there. Sounds yeah. like. Yeah. Okay. And, but then with this brand, with the sole purpose of creating utilitarian products for future survival. Got it. Got it. Okay, that's good. All right. Any last words to your fans and followers that are out there? Oh, dang. What do you want them to, <laughs> how do you want to direct them towards, you know what I mean? You, you know, towards your website to go check and see, you know, check check out the latest news. What? Uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, well, check out uh, asifutures.com for the latest and greatest of my passion project, uh, As If. Um, also, if you want to check out some graph, you can check me at Rich Uno on Instagram. All right. So go, going back to your roots on the street. Yeah, there All you right. go. And there then also uh, NASA Crew, uh, at NASA Crew on Instagram as well. Um, and that's about it. All right, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. All right, Urban Pitch Podcast, the beautiful game of life. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.